Thank you very much, Bruce, for reading the Word. It is a privilege to read God's Word, a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you. And if you have a Bible, please uh, keep it open at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we make our way uh, through this beautiful, beautiful passage as we conclude the series in Thessalonians. So that's been an exciting journey. It's been some beautiful, beautiful insights as uh, Pastor Timon and Graham and last week Pastor Vincent took us through that as an online service, which was tremendous. And thank you so much for that. So good to see you here, and again, I want to add my welcome to that which has already been given, and we are mindful for those that are in the cafe, uh, enjoying a service there, part of our church family, and uh, uh, we just pray that the Lord will bless them as they fellowship together. Pastor Graham is preaching there this morning, and so they will be super blessed, and again, welcome to those of you that are online with us. As we come into this great passage today, I want to point out a few things just to preface our time together because we've got so much to move through. It's an enormous passage, only a few verses, but there's so much packed in there, so much that uh, Paul wanted to express to this beautiful young church. And when I think about the love that Paul had for the church, I can't help but think about you guys and girls and how much we have here as a church community, how God has blessed us, how we do love each other and how God has given us some wonderful elders and pastors who God has given a responsibility to lead us. And we have so much in common with this church, so much in common with what they were facing. This last few verses are really uh, like a shotgun. Uh, Paul really unloads in rapid succession on this church. And I, I think he did that on purpose because I, I get the sense that they were so absorbed with the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was shared about in chapter 4, so excited about the, the imminent rapture that was going to occur for the church. And I'm not just saying excited, as I've mentioned to you before, some of these folks actually gave up their work and decided that the Lord was coming back this week. So they thought, well, why, what was the point of going to work? Let's just wait for the Lord's return. And uh, so Paul, in a, an attitude of love, writes to them, to encourage them to continue on in their faith and not to be idle, not to be lazy, not to be caught up even on good things, but rather to be living out their faith. And when I say living out their faith, Paul wanted to, them to live in a way that reflected the character of God, that, that spoke the truth about God. I heard one speaker who spoke about marriage and he said this about marriage. He said, marriage is designed to speak the truth about God. It's meant to reflect his character, his commitment to being a covenant-keeping God, his commitment towards being faithful, his commitment towards being loyal. And I want you to understand that that's not the way just for married couples. That's true of all of us. And when Paul writes to this church, he's saying, I want you to be, yes, I want you to be excited about the imminent return of Christ, but I also want you to understand that you need to live your lives in such a way that everything you do speaks the truth about God, that he really is faithful and that he really is good. And so we get this rapid succession fire, which truthfully, there's about like five sermons in here. So you guys are in for a fun few hours. So 
It's a really, really, really beautiful, beautiful passage. But I want to take you immediately to uh, verse 24 in your Bibles. If you'll come there, I don't think I've got it up on the screen for you, but come with me in your Bibles, chapter 5, and come down to verse 24. And he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Now, we're going to land there at the end, but I wanted to start with telling you that as God gives us these commands... Remember that he has given you the gifting of his spirit and he is actually enabling you to be able to carry out these things. If you read this in isolation of that, you will feel overwhelmed. But as we read it, let's remember that God is in us in all of his fullness through the Holy Spirit and he can strengthen us to do these things and is is actually doing that. Another theme that comes out in this beautiful passage is uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about urging us and encouraging us He doesn't come down with a hammer and say, you must do. But he urges us and he calls us brothers, coming alongside, not as an apostle overbearing, uh, but as a, a true leader, coming alongside, pointing the way, encouraging us to do what God has called us to do. In this passage of scripture, we discover the will of God for our lives. Not the whole will of God, but a fairly large portion of the will of God. It's beautiful, I think, when the creator of heaven and earth, our creator, comes to us and says, this is my will. I don't want you to be in the dark. I don't want you to be confused, but this is my will. I find that exciting because when God says, this is my will, I know that he's given me the capacity to fulfill that. So I think this is really, truly exciting as we read this. We're reading a passage of scripture where God is giving us instructions on how we can love our leaders. And we can do that because our God has loved us and his love is being poured through us by the Holy Spirit. We're going to read a passage where God tells us that not only should we love our leaders, but we should love one another. Even with all our warts, bumps and all the things that we have in our lives. And let's be honest, sometimes we have trouble loving ourselves, let alone loving others. But remember the promise? God is faithful and he will do it. He's given you the capacity to be able to do that. Not only are we to love our leaders and to love one another, we're to love God. And not probably the focus here is when we talk about God, that's a big picture. But here, to love, to love the will of God, to, to delight in the will of God. And he outlines that for us very clearly. And as we wrestle with those things, we end with, and God is faithful to do it in us. Isn't that great news? Let's pray together. And uh, let me take you through this beautiful passage. Father, thank you for these dear people. I want to thank you for our brothers and sisters who are in the cafe this morning. And Father, thank you for our precious family that are watching online. And Lord, we long, like we did a few weeks ago, where we can get back together as a whole church and worship you. That was just delightful. And Father, we thank you for the state government, we thank you for our leaders and we thank you for those working within the health department who are caring for us. And uh, Father, we pray that you would move this virus away from us as quickly as possible. But in the meantime, we just delight in you. We know that you will work this out for your, for your glory and for our good and we thank you for that. Father, we thank you as we come to your word that today we can discover your will. Today when we come to your word, Uh, We don't come in fear, but we come with excitement because we believe the promise that you're able to do this, that you're able to strengthen us so that we can obey you. And uh, we thank you. That's very exciting. Thank you that you are not a distant God. You are intimate. You love us. 
and you give us the strength to love one another. And we bless you for that in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's go together. Let's start in uh, verse 12. This is really, really precious. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you. And we ask you to... Sorry, let me read that again. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very, very highly in love because of their work. And then he says, be at peace with one another. Three things we get up pretty quickly out of this passage, and there's a lot here, so we will move quickly and won't be able to speak at length about everything we'd like to. But clearly what we see here is that our leaders, they work hard. That's the first thing that comes off the bat. We are to respect, we are to love our leaders because the work that they do is singularly hard, but they also work hard at the work that they do. That's the implication here. And as this little fledgling church is beginning to rise up, we're not even sure that there's been elders appointed yet. That's how young the church is. We read in the book of Acts that Paul went around and appointed elders, but we're not sure yet. But even as they had not got perhaps identified elders, there were leaders that the Spirit of God was already working in, using them to care for the flock of God. They were already working hard. Very likely, these ones were working two jobs, working to provide for their families and then working hard to care for the church and using the gift that the Spirit of God had given them. When leaders work within the church, it's not just because they're flamboyant. They've actually been set aside by God for that work. And by nature, that work is very, very difficult. It has a a spiritual weight to it that can be overbearing and overwhelming if you are not resting in the Lord. And so therefore, because of this holy work that they've been called to, to shepherd the flock and to care for our souls and to admonish us when we need it, and that's really, really tough, we need to show them respect. We need to show them love. They lead the church in bringing glory to God. The leaders that God has appointed here at City Reach, they labour long in the Word of God, searching the Scriptures so that they can know the will of God. They spend hours and hours in prayer, waiting on the Lord to lead them in regards to where they believe the church should go. They spend a long time together, praying together and talking together and weighing up the Scriptures together so that they might be able to walk after the Lord and not get ahead of him. And as much as that can be a joyful work, it's a hard work as you weigh that up. And there's a great responsibility that comes with that. And because of that hard work and because of that effort that they put in, we are to respect them. We are to to love them. We are to admire them. Not only do they lead the church, but they care for our souls. We learn from the word of God that God has placed us under their leadership. And he's called the leaders and the elders of our church to care for the souls of our community. To care about how they are going physically, how they are going spiritually. And to lead them by example. To lead them through giving the word of God with authority so that the Holy Spirit can speak to them. And there comes a tremendous weight for that. We learn in the book of Acts that we are the elders. Paul says in the book of Acts, you're meant to pay special attention to the flock. 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. So becoming a leader, an elder within our church is not just because you've got a few mates or that you've got a speaking gift or that you have a little bit of money or you've been hanging around so long they don't know what else to do with you so they put you into an eldership role. It's actually a work of the Holy Spirit and the role of the elders in the church is not to appoint them but is to acknowledge, yes, we see the Holy Spirit working in you. It's to give affirmation to what the Holy Spirit has done because he is the one that appoints these leaders to the church. The church, he says, which he obtained with his own blood. Do you get the implication of that? The bride of Christ, you and I, are part of the body of Christ because Jesus Christ shed his own blood to purchase the church. And you'd have to, extension of that is that we are very precious to him. Incredibly precious. Don't mess with the church because Jesus Christ died for it and he loves it. And then the implication is that those that he raises up to leadership, to lead that, ought to be very careful in the way that they conduct themselves because it is a holy calling and they will be held to account for how they shepherded your souls. You will not stand before the living God and have him scrutinise you on how you led the church as part of the church, but your elders and your pastors will be held to account. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we read, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And not for shameful game, but eagerly, not in a domineering way, but do it as an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. It's a holy calling to lead the church, and we are commanded to love those who lead us, to show respect to them. And the beautiful thing is that God can enable us to do that. It's not something you've got to find yourself. I've, um, in marriage counselling, I've had situations where couples have been wrestling with each other. And, uh, for example, in one case where the husband was acting like a doofus and not really doing a great job, and he's, I told the, them both, I said, as a husband, you've got to love and lead your wife. That's your responsibility, and you hold you accountable for that. And as a wife, you've got to so respect and submission to your husband. And she said, but how do I do that? He's like as dumb as a post. And he doesn't love me and he doesn't lead me. He just lays on the couch and watches TV. And I've got to say, I thought, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but then I thought, well, no, that's not right. Because you see, uh, being respectful and submissive is not about looking at your partner and saying, yes, they deserve that. It's actually about looking at God and saying, I'm going to do this because you've called me to do it and you can give me the faith to do that. And similarly for you today, you'll look at some of your leaders at times and you won't see the hard work they do and you won't understand the pressure that they bear and you won't like them as much as you like another leader. But don't think that that allows you not to show the same love and respect as you do to all leaders because it's an act of faith unto the living God. It's not about your personal preferences. And we, you're not alone in struggling with personal preferences. I've got a long list too and I have to submit those to the Lord as well. A little bit further down in the same verses, but let's, let's highlight a couple of other things that I want to highlight. We're told there in verses 12 and 13 that we ask you brothers to respect those who labour among you, so respect, 
Then verse 13, esteem them very highly in love. And the last part of verse 13, and be at peace among yourselves. Those three aspects of loving and honouring our leaders and respecting those who labour among you is respecting them at their work. And it's got the, the, under, or the implication that you actually know them. Your leaders aren't distant from you. You've actually made the effort to understand who they are within all of their strengths and their weaknesses, which they have because they're like you. But also you understand through reading the word of God the pressure that they come under. And so in a sense, you, you journey with them and you come alongside them and you show them honour and you show them love because of the work that God has called them to. You're not designed to judge them. We're not designed to judge each other. We're meant to come alongside and support one another in the work that God has called us. The implication of the meaning of this word to respect those, the word labour, is a, is a vigorous effort. And your leaders do work vigorously. Your pastors labour long and hard. And they love to do that. And there are times where it's an absolute joy. And we ought to, as a congregation, try to make it a joy for our pastors. But there are times where it's not so much of a joy. Sometimes when you're dealing with people and you're marrying them and you're dedicating their babies to the Lord, that's just the best thing in the world. When you get to preach or open the word and the Lord ministers through you, that's wonderful. But when you have to bring admonition and correction to someone's life, that's Pastor Timon's job. <laughs> so <laughs> he came into my office one day. We weren't travelling too well. We were having a fight over something and he said to me, I was upset. And he came and he said, isn't it wonderful to travel through the valley of disagreement together? And I thought, what are you smoking? <laughs> but he understood something really powerful, is that when you don't run away like I often do, and have done, and I found when I run away from conflict, it comes around the corner and it was bigger than the last time I saw it. So I run a bit further and the next corner I come around, it's got even bigger. Timon was teaching me the lesson, and Pastor Paul taught me this too, that to humbly deal with issues quickly is always the best way to go and the Lord actually uses it to bind us together and grow us. The second part is that we are to esteem them very highly in love. This has got a, the, in the original language, it has a continuance to it. So what Paul is saying is, I want you to love them and respect them, but I want you to continue to do that all the time. And I think it's natural that we then have to speak to ourselves about that because there are going to be times where we really love a leader and there are going to be other times where we're praying for the Lord to take them home suddenly underneath a bus. And we've actually got to talk to our own heart and say, I need to continually love that person and honour them for the work that they are doing. I want you to come a bit further down to uh, verses... Let's go on to, just for the sake of time, let's jump down to verses... Uh, 14 and 15 together. We're told we're meant to love our leaders, but also now I want you to see that we're meant to love each other. And he says in verses 14 and 15, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, I've got to tell you, if you read that without an understanding that God will do this in you through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you feel like you've got to be kidding. That must be written for someone else because I just don't have the strength to do all that. 
But this is, the, this is the job that many of your elders and pastors do week to week, and not just between 8 and 5 o'clock. It's often between 7 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it's 4 o'clock in the morning. It comes at all times. And even for a pastor who's not out at a hospital or not visiting somebody in crisis, I know this is true for a lead pastor, he dreams about the church, he wakes up thinking about the church, he worries about the church, he goes to sleep thinking about the church, he talks to the church about the church to his wife, he tells his kids about the church, everything, because he's on it 24-7. And the struggle he is is not being able to work hard, the struggle he has is being able to speak to himself and to rest in the Lord and find peace from the labour. And we ought to respect him for that. I think some of you understand that and the weight that that brings, to our, particularly to our lead pastor. But here we are meant to stir up the idol. It says that we are to, for those who are idle, those who are a little bit lazy, we're meant to admonish them. And what the word admonish means here is not to make public spectacle of them and embarrass them. It's not to talk down to them as though we're better than them. But the word actually means to stir them up, to stir them into action, to get alongside them. And this, the implication of this is couched in love. This is not separate to love. We are meant to love one another, and love means that we get alongside one another and we develop relationship, and with that relationship we develop trust, and with that trust we develop respect, and that enables us to speak into the life of people in love. And to come alongside and put an arm around them and say, hey, brother, I love you, but I have to speak the truth to you in this situation. You need to... Step it up. You need to work harder at this. You need to trust God in this more because you've become idle and Satan loves idle minds and idle hands. And so we have a responsibility to one another. It's not just Timon's responsibility. It's our responsibility too. We've got to be able to lovingly speak to each other. Then he says that he wants us to encourage the faint-hearted. Actually, literally means a person with a short soul. Somebody who doesn't really have a great deal of trust. Somebody who is, as it's well described, faint-hearted. And we're encouraged to come alongside them and stimulate them to press on through our love and our care and even through our example and through our kind words. Our role is, is to lift their eyes and to lift their face up to the living God so that they get a fresh vision of him and so that they're Faint-heartedness is much more overcome with a great love for God. There are plenty of people who are faint-hearted in our community and we need not to ignore them or to mock them, but we're meant to come alongside them. The weak need help. Wouldn't you agree? Aren't you glad that you're not weak? I'm so glad I'm not weak. We're all weak. There are times when, frankly, we are pathetic and we struggle and we come along to church and we masquerade as though we've got it all tied down, but our hearts are broken and our fears are great and our love is lukewarm and we're just struggling. 
and we feel terribly, terribly weak. And we feel like we're the only ones that feel weak. It's just not true. We all go through times where we feel weak. And so that's why we need to love each other, Paul says. This little church is growing and he recognises there's going to be people who feel weak and rather than pushing them away or rather than ignoring them or letting them get marginalised, we're meant to come alongside them and encourage them and love on them and speak the truth of God's word into their life. We're meant to pray over them. One of the loveliest things I get to do as a pastor and, and when I get to speak to young men about uh, their addictions and about their anxiety and about their depression is to be able to, when we pray together, actually go and lay hands on them. Rather than just sitting back in the chair and praying some flowery, fluffy prayer over them, but to actually get up on my feet, go over and lay my hands on them and to reaffirm through that touch that I love them, that I identify with them, that they are part of God's family, and we're in this together. We all need that touch from the Lord. It's a privilege not only to lay hands on them and pray for them, but it's an honour because I sit with sometimes, I've sat in counselling sessions and somebody's poured out their life to me and I've got nothing. I don't know what to say. Their heartache is so great, greater than any heartache I've ever suffered. Their story is so, so difficult, more difficult than any story I've ever had. And it seems so hypocritical just to roll something out on them and not actually listen and absorb what they say. But I'm glad that I have a God who knows exactly what to say. And when he touches them, he doesn't bring condemnation or judgment or alienation. He brings comfort. And that God whom I know, I know through the scriptures and I'm able to share the word of God with those who are struggling, who are weak. We ought to learn the word of God, should we not? Not just for ourselves, but so that we can share that truth with another person. So many times I've come into the office and had a quiet time and read something and the Lord's spoken to me and it's not an hour later before some precious brother or sister comes through my door and I'm able to share that very word of encouragement with them. And I end up looking like a legend. I am just so glad that God was so generous towards me to give me something to say because I'm as weak as you. This is a tough one. Um, we're meant to be patient with everyone. Can I say to you that this is actually a fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, if you look there, being patient is a fruit of the Spirit. It may be a fruit of the Spirit, but I've got to tell you, it's very, very difficult. Because we are human beings and we're sinful. And I will say this to make it short. The only way for us to be patient continually and to grow in patience with one another is to get a fresh vision of the living God because I find in my life when I'm not looking at the Lord and I see all my circumstances and I'm overwhelmed with those I then become incredibly impatient even with the ones that I truly love but when I get a vision of how great my God is for him nothing is impossible nothing is too difficult for God he is beautiful and when I'm have that vision in my heart and I look upon those who I love and whom I care for and my church family, my heart is not full of anxiety but my heart is full of love and kindness and patience. It gives me time to sit and stop and get engaged with another person's life. You see, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. 
You don't have to find it on your own. It's not just something that some people have and others don't. It's a gift from the living God. He can do that in us. This next part about not repaying evil for evil, I don't actually think was meant to be in there. Somebody's made a mistake with that one. Um, In the version, my Bible, the Jeff Littlefair authorised version, that doesn't appear, which is good news. Man, it's hard when somebody stabs you in the back, when somebody kicks you in the shin, when somebody reminds you that you're not very strong, when somebody makes fun of you, when somebody is just willful and decides to hurt you. Just give me a moment, please. Thank you very much, Wendy. We've got a thing going. I make Wendy hot chocolate. She turns it down when I have to blow my nose. <laughs> Aren't you glad I made her a hot chocolate this morning? Um, we are to be people who do not uh, seek to repay evil for evil, but the actual the implication here is that we actually go the counterintuitive thing. You don't, it's not a matter of just sort of holding your breath and hoping that karma is going to kick in and they're going to get damaged. This is actually says that you ought to go to the other extreme where you actually do good for them. Um, there was a situation in my life, and this would be like yours, where I got hurt by somebody. Um, and I had to come to a point where I had to ask God to forgive me for not forgiving them. And then what would happen is that that hurt would come up again in my heart. The situation had long passed. And I'd have to get on my knees again and say, God, please forgive me. And I just give this situation to you. And then I found this beautiful secret. I went a step further. I prayed, God, please open your hand to my precious brother and bless him. And I prayed it with all sincerity. It wasn't just, I wasn't trying to blow smoke over God and pretend I was right. I prayed with all fervency, please bless him. Open your hand to him. And whatever he turns his heart towards, let that be prosperous. And uh, God brought such healing to my heart. We are meant to do good to those who do evil against us because have we not done evil towards our God? And has he not done good to us? Have we not sinned against him? Have we not cursed his name? Have we not worshipped other gods? Have we not taken the gifts that he's given us and used them for filthy things? And God has shown us grace and forgiveness and we ought to do the same for others. The third thing that I want you to see is that we're to love the will of God. Have a look in your Bibles at verses 16 to 22 and it'll be up on the screen for you. But this uh, rapid fire thing again is really beautiful. Um, We can't do it on our own. We need God to do this through this. But God says you ought to rejoice always. Not just on Sunday or Monday, you are to rejoice always. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to give thanks in all circumstances. And what does he then say? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So this is not a, a, like if you feel like doing it or if you've had a really good day or if you just won the lotto. This is you do this in every circumstance because this is God's will for you. Rejoice always has the implication that you should rejoice always because you have much to rejoice for. God has done so much for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. You never have a reason not to rejoice over that. Yes, you may be going through great suffering, great brokenness, 
deep health issues, but you should be able to come before the living God in the midst of those and remind yourself of what God has done for you in the Lord Jesus. This is, this is the real joy. Real joy. Not that flary floss joy. This is deep joy because God has done so much for us. That's the implication. Pray without ceasing. I would have done a better job with the sermon, but I spent so much time in prayer. So, no, that's not what it means. Pray without ceasing means that we are constantly, at every opportunity, certainly fellowshipping with God, calling upon God, reminding ourselves no matter what's happening that we need God and that we want God to be near and dear to us in our lives. And you can do this while you're making a hot chocolate. Just one more, please, Wendy. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for your patience. We went to pray without ceasing, and this is a, a heartfelt conversation before the living God. And I'm serious about it. You could be making a hot chocolate, which you've probably done a thousand times before, and in that moment, you can be talking, Lord, I've got a big day in front of me. You're making a coffee, Lord, I, I need you today. You're driving to work, God, I just, I love you. This beautiful morning and the birds singing, it just reminds me of your care for me. Dear God, I thank you. God, I've got a really difficult situation to face today and I need you. It's a person who's constantly engaging with the living God, somebody who has a, a genuine relationship with him, not a religious habit. And he loves that. He loves you. He loves it when you talk to him. It delights him as a father when you speak to him. He cares for you, he tells you in the word of God. We ought to be praying and giving thanks in all circumstances is very much just this. That we need to be understanding that our true joy does not come from our temporal circumstances that surround us. Our true joy is found in our eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is above our circumstances. So we can be in the most crazy storm but it has not changed our position in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? We can be facing the most devastating news, but the love of God has not waned for us for a moment. This is totally different to the world. The world pretends that everything is honky-dory and that they have the answers to everything. The world pretends that if you follow after their message, you will find true joy. And it it parades itself before you as what seems to be a completely reasonable answer. But if you look below that facade, you'll see that the world is seething with unforgiveness, seething with hatred, seething, seething with the difficulties of life. And yet Jesus says to us that he is the answer as we draw into relationship with him. For this is the will of God for you. See, see now, the reason it's the will of God for you is because God will do that in you. He's enabled you and gifted you through his spirit to be able to do these things. He's not calling you to do something that he has not gifted you to be able to do. And then he goes on and says, But test, uh, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Let me talk to you about the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is altogether precious. In the Scriptures, the Spirit of God is spoken about as a flame in Isaiah chapter 4. 
He's spoken about as the one who warms our hearts and woos us and draws us to him. This is how the Holy Spirit is described. He's described as the one who enlightens our minds, gives us understanding of the true nature of God through the word of God. The Holy Spirit is described as the one who empowers our own spirit. As he indwells us, he brings our spirit to life so that we can have fellowship with God. And he's pictured this way here because we are told not to quench the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't hinder that flame. You know, when you get a candle on your table, men do this, the girls don't do it. You're out for dinner with your, your loved one and they bring a candle to the, and you, you just got to play with it. And you've just got to put your hand over it and see if, and it starts to go out and flicker and then you take your hand off and it smokes and you play around with that thing the whole night long until they bought out iPhones and now you've got one of those instead. God says, don't do that to the Spirit of God working in your life. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Work with and agree with God and bring to flame the work of Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life by being obedient and choosing to love your leaders and choosing to love one another. Flame the work of the Holy Spirit to life. Fan, rather, the Holy Spirit to life within your situations. God desires for us to be obedient to him. Friends, we have been given this great gift. So much more that could be said. I want you to know that as we close, the thing that we need to remind ourselves of is in verse 24. Philippians 1 verse 6 says that he will complete the work that he's begun in you. Isn't that great news? And then we back that up with this beautiful passage here where Paul says to us that God is able. He is faithful. He will do the work in you. So let's join with God in obeying his revealed will to us and let's love our leaders well. How long since you've written a note to them and said that you appreciate them. I was preparing um, this message. Just hang on a minute. There we go. I was preparing this message uh, and I was at the dinner table last night and Carol was sitting on the couch nearby and I was typing away and playing around with my PowerPoint and I just sensed the Spirit of God moving through me. And uh, the, the ease of what I was thinking about came quickly and I, I felt the joy of being able to share that with you today already there and I was excited about it and I just sensed the Lord working at that moment and I turned to Carol and I said, someone somewhere is praying for us. I can just feel it. Some precious soul who loved us enough to understand that we're, that we're weak at times and that we need support is praying, God help Jeff with his sermon." And I just sense the Spirit working. God has given you and I the gift to love our leaders, to love one another, and to love the will of God. Isn't that great news? We're not left on our own. May the Lord bless you this day. Let me pray as we close. Gracious Father, we thank you for this, for this beautiful day. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to come aside as a church and we long to be back together like we were a few weeks ago. We pray again your blessing on our church family in the cafe. We pray your blessing upon our church family that are watching online. 
And I thank you for their faithfulness and the commitment to you. Lord, help us to love your will. Help us to love one another. Help us to love. And I should, and I prayed that, Lord, on purpose because you have helped us. You have helped us. And you will complete this in us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.